Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor at Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by the weekly teaching podcast. This is week two of our series on Hebrews, which we're going to be taking through the entire summer. We're grateful for your listenership. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. Or if you take your uh, smart device, go to your app store, search for Casper Alliance Church. You can download our app and connect with us directly. You can watch our services online, send some messages, join the chat. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Um, a pile of you, younger, preteen, teen, that like, I think I can sing and I want to be part of worship team. How do I do that? Uh, we don't have like the clearest pathway <laughs> to how to be involved in, in worship team. But if you are or want to, you can always send me an email or send office uh, at Casper Church an email. And uh, we'd love to connect, meet, and then like just see what you want to do. But there is a, uh, probably a slew of people in this room who are like, I think I could do that, and I'd like to do that. And there's some of you who are like, I don't ever want to do that, ever, ever. I'll just enjoy it. But we, in all spaces in this church, as we continue to move forward and grow and add, and we, volunteers need to step up and say, hey, I'd like to be involved in that. I want to do that. I want to be involved in kids. I want to be involved in students. I want to be involved in women's ministry. We, I welcome that, please. Men's ministry. Hey, you know what? I'm tired of Jason making the same thing for men's breakfast. I'd like to do something different than that because, frankly, I don't want to make anything more than that because it's kind of exhausting to do more than scrambled eggs. But all volunteerism is not uh, about just doing stuff. It's about saying, I love my church. I love this church, and I want to be a part of wherever we're going to go. And I, get, I want to define that as part of the church. I don't want to be a bystander. Anyway, that being said, hey, because some things were stolen in the church, I don't have a mouse, so I don't have notes. That's never stopped me before. Um, we also didn't have a bulletin, so we're going to be in Hebrews 3 today. Um, and so we, there's this um, thing that happens, I think, in our, um, well, about two months ago, I said, you know, I'm running out of time in the other parts of my day. The smartest thing for me to do in my day would be to get up at five. Five in the morning, and then I can have a cup of coffee, and I can go to the gym, and I can do the things I want to do in the morning that, like, I just, I can't find the space at four or at 6.30 or seven at night you know, I just can't find the space for it. And so, but there's this, there's this zone of time every day between like 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. that if I were to just get up and do it, it would be so beneficial for everything in my life. I could get up and tinker with the things I want to tinker with um, and all of those different things. And so I told myself that, and here's what's funny, is every morning, every morning, every morning, I wake up at 5 a.m. Every morning, I don't get out of bed. It, I don't set an alarm anymore. I just, I, I convince myself the right thing for me to do for my physical fitness, for my life, for everything around me is just to get up and get going, to, to take a cold shower in the morning and launch. And I, 
Anybody do like the cold bath stuff, right? It, you do it, it's like, it's life-changing. It'll make your, it'll make your body feel strong for a minute. <laughs> a minute, and then you'll be like, what am I doing? This is crazy. And then you'll be addicted to it, I promise. It's like drinking uh, an Americano for the first time. All of a sudden, you're like, why am I drinking espresso and water? And you just do it. Um, but every morning, I find something else that's better than getting up at 5 a.m. Whether it's scrolling Twitter um, or checking email. Like, I like, will literally lay in my bed knowing very well I'm wide awake. And I could just, like, fall to the left, put my sh- shoes on, and go to the Y and start climbing like I love to do. But I don't. I always find something else that's better than every single morning. And I'm not joking. This morning, I went to bed last night at 1 a.m. I just couldn't sleep because I had an Americano at 10. That's, that's, that's what happened. That's the issue. Poor life choices. But guess what time I woke up this morning? 5 a.m. And, and I, no alarm, just it's a, I'm up. Hear me every morning. I find something better than doing the thing that I'm supposed to do, which I've committed in my brain that this is the right way for me to live, to get up and go. I can always find something better than every day. That's the journey that we all are on all the time in our walk with the Lord. There's always something better than. There's always something more that I can put in place of. This is the story of the Hebrews this is what Hebrews is about. Is every morning, the good Hebrews are waking up and they're saying, yeah, Jesus is cool, but I know that there's something better than that. Angels are better than that. Abraham's better than that. Moses is better than that. There's something better than Jesus. And so this series that we're going to walk through, which I believe ties into the entire story of Scripture, the Hebrews is all pointing to Jesus is greater than everything else. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is the the only thing that we need. Jesus is, uh, we find in one of the famous passages, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, and so to fix your eyes on him, Jesus is the origin point and the end point of salvation. Jesus is everything and is better than. And every morning when I read Hebrews, or the Hebrews are reading their Hebrews, they get up and say, there's something better than this. Thank you, Mark, for, for teaching last week and setting the stage of where we're going. But that's the theme of if Hebrews is greater than. And we're, this morning in Hebrews chapter 3, it's about Moses. And, and the author, the, the writer is um, saying that, no, Moses is not better than Jesus. And pay attention to what you're thinking about Moses. Let me read it to you. We're going, to read, we're going to read all of three, and then we're going to end um, at the end of chapter four. And we'll see. I have a couple of thoughts I just want to give you. And, and this might be the short one today, which it's warm in here, so we need it. Hebrews 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. 
For he was faithful to God, who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he entrusted with when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself, for every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truth of God of God the truth God would reveal later, but Christ as the, son, as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy, Scripture, Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they were tested, uh, when they tested me in the wilderness. There, your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while, you st while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by the sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all, the the, all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they had heard his voice, was it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath and they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. We're going to come back to the end of four here in a little bit. This, uh, this fall, actually more like Christmas time, we're going to talk about rest. Rest is a theme in scripture. Rest is the promised land. Rest is the place where we're at peace, permanent peace. Actually, the word is shalom. We should, God is trying to usher shalom onto earth, peace on earth and goodwill to men. That's a part of, of the biblical story is peace, shalom, for us to experience peace, to rest, so we don't have to toil or we don't have to be, uh, we don't have to be at, um, at odds with creation anymore. We don't have to strive to do things. We don't have to, we're not laboring in vain daily after, day after day after day. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about Hebrews and we got some, this summer we got some stories, uh, the core Bible stories that are going to be fun to talk about. We're going to go through some Acts stuff in the fall as well which is going to be a lot of fun. But today, Hebrews 3. Now, here's the deal. Um, what's fun is we have this house, 720, I, you know, I forget, Adrian. We have a beautiful home. We love our house. It's my favorite house we've ever lived in. Many of you, many of you in this room have been in my house before I was in my house. That's what I found out. I didn't have any idea, but some of you are friends with the people who owned our house. And that's kind of cool, but it's also a little weird. 
But what is, one of the things I love about our house is, is just how it was crafted. It's got some character. There's some things about when you walk into our home, you go, wow, I kind of like the way this looks. And, and we have this kind of staircase that runs through the middle of our house. It's, it, we've hit our heads on it a handful of times. But, you, but the person who built our house or who like helped craft it, uh, a couple of twins worked for it at one point in their life, I believe. And... It, it's just been, it's, it's a house that's well-built, right? Um, and people know who built that house. Pretty interesting. Well, as I've lived in this house, I've discovered things about this house that I don't like. And I blame the builder every single time. Because I live in the house. It's my house. I have to pay the mortgage on it. And the house could have burnt me down a couple of different times. So there's some things that have happened in our house where they combine. What's the thing? Electrician, you're not supposed to combine. What kind of wires? Aluminum and copper? Is that right? Because that'll start a fire. Well, little did we know that half of our house is wired that way. Because the builder handed off to another builder, and the other builder then decided that he wanted to do it the fast way or the cheap way and add some things and do some things. And slowly but surely, the only way you find out is if there's an accident or something burns or something doesn't work indefinitely, like your washer and dryer. Shame on the builder. Shame on the builder. Well, come to find out, we, you all know, we told the story about the, the, the leak and, the, um, and that all got done, and thank you, that's finished. But underneath our house, there's a combination of two things that don't need to be con- combined with plumbing. PVC connected to cast iron. And there's a massive crack in the cast iron. So instead of replacing it all at one point, they went up to a certain, a certain level and stopped. I blame the builder. It's the builder's fault. It's not my fault. But it's my responsibility now to fix it or else I could put my, I mean, I could call Roto-Rooter every other day because we have plumbing issues. <laughs> I did one time. He's like, I'm too, No. <laughs> he, he actually said, I'm at a real job. <laughs> um, I blame the builder. Verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 3. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. It's really easy for me at this particular point to just yell at the builder because they're not in front of me. They're not here. They're not the ones that I, I just can complain about them when they're not around. I, and, and frankly, I live in a way in which I can yell about the builder every single day of my life and say, why did you do it this way? Now you've cost me more money and there's more danger and blah, 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 blah. And, and I can say, you should have had a better builder to build this particular house. Even though that you're a general contractor and you kind of know what you're doing, you should have had a better builder. There's always somebody better that can build your house. And I get this attitude in my own home to where I'm blaming and being frustrated because it costs money to fix these things. And I'm annoyed, but the person who built my house, he built it, and it's his fault. <laughs> same attitude. It's the same attitude that we would, we would have with the one who's built everything. There's always a better builder. See, when we're inconvenienced or we're frustrated or we're disappointed or we're, we're torn down or we're, we're feeling like we're not as happy as we want to be or as comfortable as we want to be, or even more, when something's put upon us that costs something, and usually it involves our checkbook or time 
or even like bruised knuckles because, you know, 285-pound men should not be crawling in crawl spaces. That's reserved for 13-year-old boys. <laughs> but when we're doing that, all we're doing is I'm shaking my fist at the builder of the house. In my own life, I see the same thing. There's always something better. There's always something for me to be frustrated. I come into the church this morning and the things happen that way I talked about. Oh! I even said something awful to our head elder. I hope you don't hold me accountable for that. But I'm, God, why can't you protect us from simple things? Because there's always some, there's a better thing out there than what we're currently experiencing. We need this now. And you've hurt our ability to broadcast. Ugh! That attitude takes shape and it builds, it drops seeds. And those seeds begin to plant and grow and grow and grow. And when seeds grow, here's what the warning is from the Hebrews, which is actually quoting the Old Testament. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Those seeds grow into bitterness. They grow into this thing that kind of pushes all the good that God is doing in your life out. They, they take over. Any VeggieTales fans? The rumor weed, it just takes over, but that's about lying. But there's a, when things grow, I've made the joke and, and talked about Lily of the Valley. I don't know if you remember that. Lily of the Valley takes over your entire yard, if you get it. It will, it will root every single thing out. It spreads, like, it spreads worse than wildfire. This is the seeds of bitterness and discontent and being frustrated and blaming the builder on your annoyance. See, think about the story that the Israelites had, what's being referenced here in Hebrews chapter 3, and why Moses is so important to them. Moses is their, their savior. He's the one that went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. He's the one that, that, asked, that made all the plagues happen. He's the one that marched them out. He's the one that they held the hands high as they were crossing the sea, and, and, and Pharaoh's army was destroyed there. So he, I mean, Moses is a folk hero. It's easy to worship him. Their heritage suggests it. And the warning of the Hebrew author is saying, careful, be careful. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater. I know that your house, the Israel house, this tribe, your people, this community of people that you have, I know you want to pay honor to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, but Jesus is greater than. Don't put anything above him. Don't put anything before him. Don't put anything ahead of him. Don't compromise your allegiance to Jesus because it will grow a seed of bitterness and your heart will be hardened and you will no longer be able to see the blessing. You'll only be able to see the curse. So as I walk through my home, I don't see these beautiful hardwood floors or this amazing tile floor or the fact that we were able to afford or that I have a job and my wife has a job to be able to hire an electrician to come and fix things along the way. I just get frustrated at the burden that this house has on me. I get frustrated because I've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and all I can do is blame God who's brought me out and created a house for me to live in. That's all I can see because the hardened heart has taken over everything. So all I see is the negative. All I see is the curse. I never can see the blessing. I don't even I don't acknowledge my children in my own household. I'm so frustrated by the mess that they make. The laundry room, the way it looks. How do you wear that much clothes, kid? You don't need a new towel every day, Caleb Faisal. 67 towels by the end of the week. I have, 
We have a Kohl's, no, I'm just kidding, Kohl's expense account for towels. <laughs> but that's all you see when you're bitter, when your heart's hardened. You can only see. I love the Exodus story when they're complaining, complaining about manna, 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 and God chokes them out. <laughs> just sends them birds. You're going to be wandering, you're going to be canoeing through dead pigeons. This is the, what happens when we say there's something better than what I have. And the writer of Hebrews is warning, saying there is, there is, a, there is a problem when your heart becomes hardened, when you can't hear the voice. Listen, verse 15, remember what it says, verse 15 of chapter 3. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. When I hear the voice of God, when I can hear it, and then all of a sudden I say, no, that's not the voice I want to hear. I only want to hear the voice of blessing. And the voice of blessing is the only thing that rescues me from this problem that I have. When you stop hearing that voice, you have become, you've entered into rebellion. And rebellion is, is really a scary space to live. Because rebellion has no end other than destruction. And it's a long line. There's a huge spectrum of rebellion. It starts with little rebellion and say, nah, you know what? I know it's 5 a.m., but I'd rather scroll Twitter this morning for the next 25 minutes. Then it's 5.45, and you know, I'm going to check my email and see if the other crazy people, like our office administrator has gotten up because she does at like 4 in the morning and has sent me an email. And that might have happened a couple times. And I'll check it and be like, okay. Little baby steps. Incrementalism is the word we use. It's, it applies to sin just as much as it does to politics. It applies to rebellion. Slow steps towards a slope that ends poorly. And I'm saying it ends with a hardened heart so you don't even hear the conviction anymore. This is the warning. When you put things and say things and, and acknowledge that there, are, there might be better, there might be something better than this. There might be. So what is, what is the solution? Let's go back up to verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Careful, that, so that's a warning. Make sure that you own, your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Okay, so, so I'm gonna give you a couple steps and we're gonna go into communion. There's a warning. This next thing is, let's do some introspection. Let's look inside ourselves. Where am I at? Let's be honest. Let's be self-aware. Let's, let's say that we have a problem. Let's say that there's, there's an issue out there. I'm gonna confess something that, that, is, that bothered me when I was at district conferences last week. There's this whole national conversation happening. We're not gonna get into the details of that. It's this whole conversation that I don't think we should be having. But what I felt convicted about, and some of you are gonna go, good for you. It's the same thing about getting up at 5 a.m., I felt convicted because I think the average weight of the Rocky Mountain District, sorry, Jonathan, is about 300 pounds per pastor. There's a group of men standing in front of a congregation telling them how to live, meanwhile being morbidly obese. And what's the fastest way for personal trainer to die? Being morbidly obese, isn't it? And we're standing in front of congregation. And I felt horribly convicted saying, I've worked on this. I've come down quite a bit if you look at original pictures to where I am now. But it's still a long ways to go. And this is the problem. We stand and we talk about these things that are, are, are 
should we consider better than or more important conversations, conversations that, that are, are meaningful? In the meantime, we have a bunch of sluggish, slobbish, gluttonous men leading churches, including myself at times. And I think that that, I felt so convicted. I was like, man, I gotta get up at 5 a.m. and actually get to the gym because it's not a hard concept. Discipline, discipline. Okay, so what, I, what did I say here? Warning, the Hebrew writer is giving a warning. Be careful, be careful. This next step is be sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living. Listen, listen to the thing that you're sensing that the spirit of God is talking to you on. Listen to that conviction. Don't ignore the conviction. A hardened heart can ignore conviction. It is remarkable how easy it is to push God out of your life. All of us who walk with Jesus as much as we possibly can, it is so easy to just to go, I'm not going to listen to that today. I'm not going to hear it today, and I don't care about it today. We can easily just, no. Or, like if you're a 2004 person, talk to the hand. So self-reflection. Be honest with ourselves. Be honest with ourselves. I've talked about this publicly a lot. My brother is a failed alcoholic. He struggles. I wasn't able to see him when I was in Boise, but as listening to him over the you know, 20 years of it, and one of the things that, that I know happens at Alcoholics Anonymous is, what do you say? Hi, I'm, and I have a, I'm an alcoholic. It's self-awareness. This is the thing that's tearing me down. This is the thing that's hindering me. This is the thing that's causing me to rebel. Let's be honest about it. Let's be open about it. Okay, so what's next? Verse 13, you must warn each other every day while it's still today. Tomorrow's going to come. There's an urgency in each other's life. This is the beautiful thing about a church. Now, I'm, you didn't hear me give permission, by the way. I don't want anybody to come tell me, hey, here's what you need to do to lose weight. I don't need... <laughs> I know, you eat less than you take in, right? <laughs> and you work out. It's a simple, ma it's a math problem and self-discipline. But here's the deal. When you are in a loving community, when you're in a loving community, you have the ability to share life with one another in a way to where you have, you've been given relational equity in somebody's life to talk with them. This is the importance of a church family. This is why churches are so beautiful when they're healthy, because you can, you can say, I see this in you, and I love you, and I'm going to walk with you. And this is a problem. And I don't want you to be torn down by bitterness or rebellion. I don't want you to live like this anymore. You must warn each other. Talk to each other. Because today is not going to be today forever. So there's an urgency to that. <laughs> Encourage one another, right? Man, I'm, I'm going to get back to my NASB at some point. Four, four, verse 14. If we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. So that moment, that moment when you acknowledge, you understood, and you experienced salvation in a meaningful, real way to where you know that your soul was set free, that the burden of sin no longer was causing you to be, to be mired in the murky soil, but you were lifted out of the darkness because you put faith and belief in Christ. That thing right there, 
The writer of Hebrews is saying, hold on to that. Because it's going to get rocky. The road's not fun. He's acknowledging it's tough. It's hard. It's difficult. And you have to hold on to that. That thing sustains us through the tough stuff. These other things are encouragements along the way. Because today isn't going to be today forever. Tomorrow will come, and tomorrow might be ugly. So let's get pretty today. Okay, so let's, let's go to the end of um, chapter 4, and then we're going to take communion. Verse 14, so then, so then, since all of this stuff, and I didn't even read the first part of 4. So because of all this, we have a great high priest who entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Jesus went through the curtain. He entered the Holy of Holies. Again, we're getting this reference back to the Old Testament, to the, to the Ark of the Covenant, to the presence of God. And, and Jesus entered into that presence. And he is the great high priest. He's the mediator. He is, he is the one who gives a taste of the divine to humanity. That's what a priest does. He gives a taste of the divine, heaven on earth. That's the role of the priest. That's when the New Testament authors say that we are the priesthood of believers. We are a royal priesthood. We are daily giving people in our lives a taste of heaven. Well, Jesus, who is the great high priest, the priest above priests, the priest of all priests, the, the penultimate priest, entered into heaven, touched the face of God, and said their sins are forgiven. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hold to that. So that conviction you feel, that conviction I feel, that says I shouldn't be living this way anymore, I shouldn't be thinking this way, I shouldn't be rebelling this way, that conviction, it, get, it gets stronger and stronger when we hold firmly, firmly to the work of Christ. This high priest of ours, verse 15, understands our weakness. For he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It's a promise to sustain day after day after day. The act of communion coming forward to take the elements to say, yes, you entered into heaven. You touched the face of God and you did the work of the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that you could encourage us and we could taste grace day after day after day and walk boldly to the throne of God. This is what the author is saying. That you, you listen, you might think there's a better house. There's not a better house. You live in it. You are the house. And Jesus, as Peter says, is the cornerstone, the chief builder of this house. We are the royal priesthood, a holy nation, the ones who are to live now in this house. And we are to invite people into our home. Amen. And this is the work that Jesus did. And it's not so that we can just like um, teleport to heaven. We're not designed to teleport to heaven. It'd be cool, it'd be nice, it'd be way more convenient than what I'm experiencing every day at 5 a.m. Way better. That's not the design. The design, the design, again, let me read it to you. Verse 16, to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, to receive his mercy, to find grace to help us when we need it most. So that, going back to verse, to chapter 3, 
to make sure our own hearts aren't evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God, to encourage one another that today is still today. That's what we have the grace to do. That's what we've been encouraged to do. Because of the work of Christ, we have this thing inside of us that feels and senses a conviction, the Holy Spirit moving us towards to say, oh man, I am, what a wretched man I am. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I'm so grateful for the salvation. And to love our neighbor and say, oh, I want to walk with you. I see you struggling. How can I hold you up? How can I pray for you? How can I connect with you? How can I encourage you today? Because today is still today. So these elements, this is an experience, I think, I think, I believe. I believe this was put here for us to be reminded of the work, the taste of heaven, and the power to live boldly before the throne of God. Back to my house reference. When I'm always finding something in my home that I can complain about, there's no grace there, there's no boldness there, there's just me complaining. This house stinks. There's something better. I wish we could. I mean, we, we're entertaining conversation about, hey, let's just sell our house and build our own house. And everybody on the planet says, don't sell your house. It's the dumbest thing to do right now. I'm like, but, but you don't understand. There's something better. There's something better. There's always something better. It's a, it's a distraction. To put your allegiance elsewhere. This is to remind us where our allegiance should be placed the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ that sustains so that we can get past our rebellious hearts and live boldly in grace and power so that we can be heaven on earth to everyone we come in contact with, to our neighbor, sometimes even our dogs, right? They're annoying. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team up. and Actually, I'm just going to invite Hannah and then um, we'll do communion, and then I'll, the, wor- the worship team, you have a closing song, right? Never mind, worship team, you come up. What am I doing? We're going to reprise Never Walk Alone. I don't even know if that's the name of the song, but it is. Wait, that's like the Jerry Lewis thing at the... Twice, okay. We're going to reprise that song where we do communion. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come um, as we're singing... Take your elements back to your seat. Do communion as families, units, by yourself. Um, Enjoy the power of the cross and the reminder of the work that Jesus did. His body given to you. The cup of the new covenant poured out for you for the shedding remission of your sins. So that you can live in grace. And remember, the Hebrew author is saying, Jesus understands our weakness. He knows what we've been through. He did it all. He experienced it all. I'm sure when he got up at 5 a.m., he went straight to the gym, did not scan Twitter one time. Everybody's going to text me tomorrow, like at 5.15, like, are you at the gym? (laughs) No. I'm going to try. I'll try. This is what this table is about. Come to the table. You're not alone. When you come to the table with your church,